Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling, where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. So today, I'm interviewing the Wizard of Moz, the founder and leader of Moz.com, Rand Fishkin. Rand is widely known as the world's most foremost authority on SEO and has been for many years. He's a prolific blogger, a best-selling author, a fantastic speaker, an all-round nice guy, possibly one of the finest moustaches in the world. Or is that a beard? You decide. Specifically this week, we talk about the future of SEO. I'm sure many of you might have anticipated that. But we also look at where it's appropriate and where it's not appropriate to use storytelling in our marketing effectively. And finally, we discuss a blog post that Rand published in September of 2014. It was a blog post unusually not about SEO, but instead about the inner turmoil and personal experience he was having that was affecting his life at the time. Now, Rand got an amazing response from his community, unsurprisingly because he poured his heart into this blog post and it epitomized emotional communication. We explore just why he did get that response from his community and what it takes to put out content such as that. Well, hello and welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I am joined by Rand Fishkin of Moz. Hello, Rand. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey, no, absolute pleasure and delight to talk to you uh, today. Rand, I've got to start with this very simple question. What's it like being the wizard of Moz? (laughs) It's, uh, you know, it's a lot like any other job in the technology field. It's, It's not that particularly different, although... Occasionally, um, especially at conferences and events, uh, I get treated by some like someone I'm really not. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm somehow uh, famous or particularly influential. When in fact, I'm just a guy who really deeply wants to understand how uh, search engines and social media networks work and uh, and share that information. Well, I think that's that's really nice of you to say so, but there's a lot of people out there that definitely hold you in uh, high regard, um, and quite quite rightly, I think, because you know you're definitely a thought leader in, in our space. But today, I want to talk to you about effective storytelling and the value and importance of emotion in marketing. And this this is something that may not have been particularly relevant to speak to you about many years ago. Um, but uh, hopefully you'll agree, it's definitely becoming more and more relevant as time goes on. Would, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think the, the time in which I was not an effective storyteller and didn't value that skill uh, was not because it wasn't important, but because I didn't realize how important it was. Okay. So over the course of your time at um, SEO Moz, and obviously now called Moz, can you talk a little bit about how your person, your skill set and knowledge has had to change um, and expand, I guess, given the journey that search engines, a.k.a. Google, has, has taken us on? Yeah, well, I think for me, a big part of it was about the audience that I was speaking to. In fact, even more than the changes that search engines were making or the evolution, the emergence and then evolution of social media and 
Uh, now the emergence, well, the evolution of content marketing. I think content marketing has probably been with us for a few hundred years now, but it's gotten much more popular the last seven or so. Um, because all of these things have uh, risen in importance in the digital age and because they've uh, become much more interesting and useful to web marketers and web entrepreneurs of all kinds, uh, I've had to evolve the way that I communicate information. You know, back in the day, right? Let, let's go back to 2005 or 2006, right? When the, the Moz blog was just starting to gain some popularity. Uh, I was speaking to an audience of very, very hardcore SEOs, mm -hmm. right? They, they were folks who uh, tended to think of themselves as, and, and probably were, right? Pretty darn technical, uh, would go deep down the rabbit hole of how search engines worked. Uh, a lot of us, myself included, were willing to and engaged in some manipulative activity, uh, you know, gray hat, black hat types of SEO. So really a different, different type of audience and different type of information that was being conveyed. And the way that you could tell it was very straightforward, right? I tried this, it worked. I tried this, it didn't work. Uh, look at this thing this guy found. Eventually, over time, in order to reach a broader audience, in order to grow um, the platform of Moz and uh, be able to entice and excite and inspire a broader audience, I had to learn these storytelling skills. I had to learn how to convey information um, emotionally, clearly, cleanly, um, without, you know, without hyperbole, but with uh, enough interesting insight to make it, you know, worthwhile for this broader audience of, frankly, you know, a lot of them were marketers and content creators and bloggers and uh, entrepreneurs and executives um, that that now right are part of the Moz audience. Mm. That's that's really interesting you say that. Um, where, so, where, where did you draw inspiration from along your journey? Um, because, like like you just just said there, you know, a lot of SEOs were very sort of black and white um, and sharing information in a in a sort of tight community. But as your skill set um, expanded to include storytelling communication, where, where where did you glean inspiration and advice from? A lot of what I picked up was from conferences and events. And I think, you know, the nice thing about speaking on a stage in front of an audience, a live audience, with a, um, a presentation that you've built is it's the most, in my opinion, the most challenging form of storytelling. You have to hold that audience's attention. You have to be able to um, inspire them to look up from their laptop or their phone um, and if you if you deliver a good presentation with decent information, a few people in the audience might be interested. But if you deliver the best presentation at that conference, you're going to be what everyone talks about, you know, during lunch, after the sessions, when they go to the bar, when they come back to their office. And that was my goal, to become that person that everyone was talking about. And so a lot of my inspiration came from other great speakers. You know, I watched folks like uh, Danny Sullivan and Avinash Kaushik. Um, and many, many other great speakers, uh, Dharmesh Shah from HubSpot, um, present on the stage. And I was just, you know, wildly impressed uh, and, and wanted to bring my skills up to that level. And so that, that was a huge part of it. Then I, and, and then I think I carried over that um, presentation creation and storytelling skill to, you know, the, 
the world of blogging and of filming videos and all those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of a lot of people will put you in uh, you know that sort of top percentage of, of of people who can present and convey sometimes complex complex uh, subject matters. But you know, I think one of the things you do really well is is to put it very very simply and um, and. Not to oversimplify one of your last presentations, um, hopefully, but essentially what I gleaned from it anyway was um, to prioritize the user experience um, is an essential part of the future of, of, of all SEO ranking factors. Um, and going forward, uh, the future of SEO is likely to revolve around the behavioral metrics of your audience. It, have I have I gleaned that right there, or would you agree? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty spot on. Um, you know, there's a lot more nuance in in that presentation, obviously, but that's that's the big message. Is that um, and this is my most recent one from from MozCon here in Seattle in July, uh, and I think what's been interesting about that is we've seen a few more folks come out with uh, studies and experiments, um, you know, detailing uh, their results which sort of match this theory uh, around Google measuring user engagement, uh, user and usage data metrics very closely, and then using those to change up how they show search results and in what order. Um, so uh, I've, been, I've been excited to see uh, that, that it looks like maybe I, I hit on something there. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what, I'm, what I'm wondering there is... Um... Is, is SEO now becoming much less about generic guidelines and step-by-steps that we've definitely seen for, for a number of years and more about tailoring your own expert knowledge about your business and your customers and your audience? Um, you know, is it, is it becoming a lot more individual and, and complex or, again, am I overreaching? Um, well, let's see. So I, I would say none of the things that we did in the past for SEO have gone away, right? There's still all of the technical attributes of crawling and indexation of, you know, controlling bots and making sure that uh, you move content cleanly, that you uh, are accessible to the engines that, you know, you're using all of these now dozens and dozens of protocols that search engines make available. You know, back in the day, it was only a handful now it's everything from rel prev next to rel canonical to you know meta robots and the x robots tag and all the protocols inside google webmaster tools now called google search console um you know so that list is just extraordinarily long and none of that stuff is faded in importance you know you have to know how it works you have to be able to implement it effectively but you also need to be able to engage an audience an audience that's going to share your content an audience that's going to visit your content, an audience that's going to search for your brand because they remember your brand because your content inspired them to remember your brand, an audience that's hopefully going to link to you. So uh, you've got kind of these, as I called it in the presentation, these two algorithms you're serving, right? Algorithm one, sort of all the, uh, all the technical items around how Google measures uh, importance and rankings. And algorithm two is how your audience chooses to interact with you. It's a, it's a human, the human algorithm of, can I crack the code of what people that I'm trying to serve want and what they'll amplify? Yeah, so, so on one hand, you know, I guess there is still a foundation of step-by-step stuff, but then there's definitely this element of, 
of personally tailoring towards your own your own audience and and something else that you said you know a new SEO engagement factor um, you you alluded to the importance of emotion in marketing and, and one of the things you said was um, curiosity is important um, you know to sort of elicit the clicks and, and all of that engagement stuff you, you just mentioned in there how how on earth can um, can somebody set out to plan to create things like curiosity and other emotional um, reflections of, of your content. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you start to build those complex things into an SEO and a wider marketing plan? Uh, I think the key is empathy, mm-hmm. right? So what you need to be able to do is put yourself in the mindset, in the shoes of your audience. And your audience may be your customer, but it may be also influencers of your customers who are never going to purchase your actual product or service, but will will or might suggest uh, or help amplify your message to people who do. And, and sometimes, you know, you've got to be careful about serving both of those and not just thinking, what do my customers want? Uh-huh. Um, but having that empathy where you can put yourself in their mind and say, what are my problems? What am I interested in? What, when I see it on the internet, can I not resist clicking? Uh, what is, you know, sort of culturally and um, psychologically appealing to me? Um, what are things that are in my, my personal or my demographic zeitgeist? You know, um, making certain kinds of references, uh, pop culture references might work for some businesses and it might totally fail for others depending on who their audience is. Um, using hooks like um, uh, fear or uh, concern for the future might make great sense for a certain kind of audience and might fall flat with another kind of audience. So it, it's about having that empathy. And I think the best content creators uh, have always had that. They know, they know what their audience wants and they're able to deliver it because they can put themselves inside their heads. Yeah, it's interesting because you know a lot of people I've been speaking to lately they're saying exactly the same thing, and that's that's really really good um, in, in one respect. Um, from from another, we're just we're crystallizing and bringing clarity to you know to a problem, which basically says you've got to put more effort into understanding and caring about your audience, right? Um, from from your perspective now, being selfish, somebody you know the the wizard of Mars. How, how do you continue to run a software business that adds continual value to an audience that is moving towards more complex uh, and human uh, metrics? And and also, they need to go away and really delve deep into their own audience. What are, are you as a business? Um, does that present you with a challenge to continually add value in in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I think on the software side, the degree of complexity to form, you know, like, like you said, when it's step by step, uh, it's much easier to make software that checks those step by step processes and protocols um, and says, do you have X on your web page? Good, you have X. Do you have Y? Good, you have Y. Do you have Z? No? All right, fix that. It's much harder to say, hmm, we looked at this content. And given who your audience is, we're not sure this is going to resonate. Exactly, yeah. That's, you can't make software that does that. Nobody can. <laughs> um, I actually, I kind of hope that no one ever does make software like that. I think, um, I think the minute that starts to happen, we'll actually see uh, a brief period where 
you know, people are paying deep attention to that stuff, and then they'll be looking for more of that human characteristic again and get rid of the, uh, the machines. Because humans don't like formulaic stuff, at least not for long, right? Even Hollywood has to change their formulas every few years to suit uh, the needs, right? And if you make a movie today that follows the formula of, you know, an 80s classic, well, it's not going not gonna to do very well in the theaters. Um, so I think this is a... Um, a monumental challenge for a software company to be able to provide value um, for both of those. And, and to that end, I think our job at Moz is to serve the technical side as best we can, and then to give information and insight and, um, you know, content from, from our blog and from our videos and through conferences and events and that kind of stuff that helps folks with the more creative and empathetic side. Yeah, because like you said, yeah, the technical stuff's always going to be there. It's just getting right. more complex. There's more layers, right? Right. And so I think that's where software can help you. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you sign up for Moz, hoping that we'll help you create, you know, that that one piece of content that's going to um, astound your audience, that's no. We can we can help make it a little more accessible, but uh, yeah. but I, I guess you know. Um, you know, what you can help with is the interpretation of your efforts, your best efforts to get to know your audience and give them what what they want. Um, and that's always going to be important, isn't it, in terms of, you know, testing and measuring exactly what resonates and what doesn't. Yeah, and I think being able to help show those metrics uh, in line, so saying, hey, you know, we here's the average click-through rate for all of these positions and we've got these, you know, this research through um, all these data studies and then we can compare that to you know, the, the click-through rate that you're seeing on your pages. That, that kind of stuff uh, is certainly helpful. We can look at, you know, for example, engagement on um, a web page through hooking into someone's Google Analytics. And then we can show that alongside their rankings and um, potentially give them a little more context to be able to sort out what it is that's preventing them from ranking higher. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I I was talking. I was talking to Mark Schaefer um, the other day, and he said something really interesting. Following on from that point, Rand, um, he said, um, "I was asking him about engagement, and he said uh, there's a specific difference between a network and a community." So I interpreted that to mean um, the number of people you're connected with compared to the number of people who care they're connected with you. Right. Um, from 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 your perspective. Um, what constitutes the difference and how important it is one compared to the other? Yeah, I think, I think you've nailed it. Uh, what I would say is that don't discount the value of a network simply because it's not as engaged. Uh, okay. the, the interesting and exciting thing about having a large network, even if they are not all folks who are you know, deeply passionate about your subject or your community, uh, is that when there are topics that reach... Bro uh, broader interest set, right? Uh, those folks who are part of your network, who, who follow you, uh, have the potential to amplify your content or your service or your product or whatever it is that you're doing outside of the world of people you already reach, outside of your community. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, that, that's critical because Without a network, I think communities can become very insular. They can become very, um, well, they can lose their potential to grow uh, beyond themselves. Okay. And so 
I think it's critical to have both of those. And and part of that, I guess, is um, is about staying authentic. Um, I, I would have thought. And something I'd really like your insight on, if you don't mind talking about it, it was a post that you published uh, in September 2014, um, and it was really well titled, um, A Long and Ugly Year of Depression That's Finally Fading. Yeah. So, and, I, and I, I'll have, I've got to say this as well, Rand, that's probably um, one of the most emotive, brutally honest, authentic blog posts I've ever read, ever. And by the way, I read every single word. And I remember having a number of um, individual conversations with various different people about that. Um, that must have that must have took a lot of. Um, well, it was very brave to, to to publish. What did you learn about your community after publishing that type of content? Um, gosh, that was the, that was a really interesting one. I I think. The fascinating part about that piece um, was that it it resonated somewhere between equally or maybe even more with my network than my community, um, meaning it reached a lot of folks far outside of the you know SEO and, and, and web marketing world. Oh yeah, I would I totally agree with that. Yeah, and 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 I got a lot of. Um, you know, visitors from sources that I, I don't normally reach, right? Places like Hacker News um, and a lot of blog posts by entrepreneurs and um, folks in kind of the, the tech and business world. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it was not the kind of thing that was featured on Search Engine Land or, you know, that Barry put up on, on Search Engine Roundtable or that, you know, got a ton of retweets from lots of people in the SEO world. Mm-hmm. So it was a very different um different effect from that content. But I, you know, that was, that was a piece that was not, did not have a business purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, pretty obviously, right? Yeah. 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 Hey, Rand was really depressed and like, he's kind of coming out of it. Maybe we should buy something. From us? <laughs> like that. <laughs> no one thinks that. Right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that it was, it was more, uh, you know, the purpose for me was not not necessarily to make to have some sort of um, you know positive business impact, but rather to share something personal, to be transparent, because that's something I um, have always really valued, and and hopefully um, to do something that I'd seen uh, a, a friend of of mine and a, and a mentor and an investor, uh, Brad Feld do in the past, which was to try and normalize, um, mental illness and mental problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think that a lot of folks who have mental and emotional issues are really scared to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that fear actually compounds the problem, right? Being able to being so scared of depression and feeling like there's such a stigma against it that you can't even admit to yourself that you have it mm-hmm. um, or go and seek help or talk about it with people in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, that means, that means it's a lot harder to get better. Absolutely. Hey, you're talking to an Englishman here, Rand, you know, <laughs> we, right. yeah, we, we don't, uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but I think, you know, that's part of the reason it, it resonated. Um, and, 
and looking at it sort of objectively, you know, it's, it was probably, well, I think it was one of the most socially engaged um, posts that you've ever produced. And, you know, the links and all that kind of stuff, you know, it performed amazingly well. And actually you set out for none of that stuff. And I, and I, I, would, I would also imagine um, that in terms of grey social and, and um, dark social, you have no idea how many people that actually reached and how many conversations happened offline as as, yeah. as well right you know um for sure because i think you know it was it was it was such a um, robust piece so comprehensive in terms of detail and, and thought process that it, it it resonated with so many people anyone uh running a business i'm sure identified with with a lot of a lot of your a lot of your points so uh, if if somebody wasn't as sort of ethical and honest as as you ran and and so did something like that and and thought mm, okay I've just got a lot of engagement from a community there that's that's interesting, um, it's it's quite easy to overstep the mark in terms of authenticity, isn't it? You know, so where do we draw the line from what we learned from an emotional uh, piece of content to um, putting that in a machine so it becomes part of a mechanical process that you try and reproduce. Well, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with learning from, you know, content that happens to be very personal and emotional and non, non-business, non-financially focused. I think, I think being able to learn from all of life's experiences um, and including your, your content experiences is a good thing. So, you know, if, if, you, if you manage to produce or happen to produce posts like that and they do very well, I think... I think it can be um, valuable to recognize or to try and recognize what elements made it succeed. Um, and certainly, you know, if you look at if you look at that post on depression, I think things that made it succeed are uh, many of the people who um, who amplified it and who engaged with it are people that I know personally or or professionally, right? And that mm-hmm. I think that speaks to the power of you know, a, a network and a community that have been built up um, personally for, you know, 15 years. Absolutely. I mean, that must have that must have given you such sort of confidence and reassurance that you have a community, not just a network. That must have been um, quite warming to see that. I think, you know, in terms of the comments you got and all, and all the rest of it. Um, but, well, you know what? Yeah, what's kind of funny about that that post is, you mentioned and you talk about like all the positive comments and engagement. And this is, I mean, this is part of my, why my, my brain is broken, but um, (laughs) the, uh, the comments that stand out for me the most are the negative ones. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, you know, I got a few, um, a few emails from folks, um, a couple, uh, uh, Three, two or three people that uh, that I work with at Moz actually, mm-hmm. um, that were not, you know, not particularly positive or happy about the post. Um, I got a number from kind of you know in the broader community folks who had had problems with our our software and sort of felt like this post was an excuse. Um, so yeah, those are the ones. <laughs> And you're right. There's only a handful of them, yeah. uh, but they're the ones that really stand out in my mind. I mean, yeah, you can never never please all the people all, all the time, right? But um, did uh, did that 
did that make you think about the value of uh, emotional content, emotion in marketing and, and storytelling? I mean, has that crossed your mind? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that the emotion, the emotion of sort of sadness and recovery and relief that I was expressing in that post is something that is that many people could identify with. Oh, definitely. Many people felt um, they felt a kinship uh, through that, right? Because, well, and and part of this I think is being the exception too, right? That the rule is if you look at a hundred posts from a hundred founders of a hundred startups, you are going to see 99 posts that are uh, all about how amazing they are, how amazing their teams are, how wonderfully their companies are doing. Um, and so that becomes noise, right? It becomes noise because it, it, it's such a, you know, there's such a glut of that type of content on the market, but a post that says, we're not doing so great. We messed up. I messed up. Um, and here's what happened. That type of content is fundamentally interesting because it's so rare, so unusual, and, and so um, identifiable with even in how unusual it is. Oh, right? These things happen to all people, but no one writes about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I guess when you look at it from a storytelling point of view, you know, it did have the start, the middle, and the end. It went into, you know, it took you on that on that roller coaster. I think more more than anything, like you just said, there people could identify. Um, and in terms of uh, uh, telling a story, that is absolutely essential, isn't it? That that your audience can identify um, with the story. You know. A lot, of, a lot of people make the mistake of, of making themselves um, the hero. And although that story was all about you, you know, that, that wasn't the case, was it? Because you, know, it, you were still putting the audience first and they were still the hero in, in the story. Uh, and a lot of people could put themselves in your shoes as well. So it was, it was an incredible, incredible post. But for me, uh, you know, I just wanted to sort of touch on that because it's very different to, to what you did. And based on what we've just talked about there, it's sort of, you know, sort of wrap, wrapping up uh rand you know how how does your content plan um look over the next 12 months knowing that storytelling is becoming even more important in, in the greater marketing mix and and also i'll make it a two-parter um how important is offline content you know how important is things that are actual events and that kind of stuff because you touched on it earlier about your, your speaking. I'm wondering, you know, speaking in pub in person must be that must be a ranking factor for you now, right? <laughs> I think I think you're probably right. I think it is. Yeah, interestingly, so um, you know, to your first point, I think um, storytelling in our content has uh, certainly has power, but it is not. It's not the only thing we try to do. Nor do we try and force it on every post or every piece of content. I think we, we try and uh, use it intelligently where it fits. So a lot of times um, a blog post will be about a particular topic or a, a tactic, a technique, a how to do X and Y and Z. Uh, and a story might be appropriate, but we won't try and jam it in there just, be, uh, just because we want to. Um, we'll try and leave stories for when they 
um, when they fit, when they make the most sense. I will say case studies are powerful and we have been looking to try and find more of those. I think the other thing we're trying to do is tell stories with data, right? So something like our, you can see our, uh, our recently produced search ranking factors, which um, as always has done phenomenally well and mm -hmm. reached a ton of folks and um, is back to ranking number one again for ranking factors and all this, all this great stuff. Uh, but one of the things that I really like that the content team at Moz did this year is to produce a couple of articles that specifically told stories with that data, right? They talked about the broadening of Google's algorithm, not a move away from links, but a move to uh, a more sophisticated, more nuanced and um, broader set of inputs into what Google considers. So I thought that was great use of, of data to tell a story. Yeah, uh, seeing very appropriate for your, your audience as well, right? Yeah, yeah, they, that did really well. Yeah, cool. Well, just before we finish, Rand, uh, I want to throw some just um, a few quick fire questions at you. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite marketing myth? <laughs> favorite marketing myth? Uh, I think I think the one I love slash hate the most is you can do SEO on your website and then be done with it. Then your website is SEO'd. <laughs> that, that one still kills me, and there's a lot of folks who believe that. Yeah, and it's still it's still around, isn't it? Okay. Um, I've, I've asked a number of people this, and I've had some phenomenal answers to it, but none are the same. So let's see what you say. Um, I've heard content is king. I've heard context is king. Who's the next king? Oh, God. Uh, let's see. Producing short phrases that are meaningless and help no one is not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I really, I really, really dislike... Um, those sorts of oversimplified pieces of advice yeah. that have no pragmatic application. <laughs> I think if you stand up and you tell an audience, content is king, you have told them nothing. You might as well have said, peanut butter and jelly. Uh, <laughs> it's just as useless, yeah. right? Nobody, no, nobody has said peanut, but peanut butter and jelly is the next king. That's, that's yeah, great. that's what I'm going with. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you're right. It's it's more of a bumper sticker or a device for getting uh, attention, right? I'm always just always interested to see uh, and who, how who pays attention to that anymore. I, 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 I don't, don't know. know. All right. And the final one um, on a scale of one to ten, just how evil is Google? Uh, let's see. Well, if ten is you know evil dictator, um, you know mass murdering and. Uh, you know, zero is Bill Gates uh, starting a foundation to save tens of millions of lives. Mm -hmm. It was probably, probably like a five, four, maybe a four. <laughs> that's yeah. a very, very, very safe. I guess that's where every business should be, right? Uh, no, no. Every business should be a one. <laughs> every I mean, everyone and every business should be a one. There's no excuse for not being a one, but Google's not there. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know, Amazon's probably a five or a six. So yeah. Oh, controversial. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rand. Uh, when I when I finish an interview like this, I usually say, um, "Where can people find out more about you?" At this point, I feel a little bit daft saying that um, because most people know exactly who you are and where you are, but. <laughs> Is there anything 
you'd like to draw our audience's attention to or leave us with? Uh, gosh, well, you know, uh, you mentioned that post on depression. That's actually at my personal blog, which is um, a little bit less well known than the than the main Moz blog. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, if you're interested in more stuff kind of like that or around that topic, uh, moz.com slash rand is where I blog about the more personal stuff. Okay. Fantastic. And uh, any uh, anything you want to leave our audience with? I've, actually, one thing I should have asked you with is how's, how's the mustache doing? Is it, is, uh, it, is it still a mustache or is it a beard these days? What's, what? uh, I wish, I, I really want to get rid of it, but, um, you know, I have this... Uh, I have this deal, this bet going with my team, and uh, until we hit these certain metrics, I can't shave it. So Is that it's right? still a mustache. Right. Okay. So, so when do you plan to be able to uh, shave that off then? Oh man, I. You know what? It, it's so far away that uh, it feels frustrating to talk about. Probably at least six months, maybe maybe more. Fair enough. I uh, I saw a great um, a great uh, T-shirt the other day. And uh, I think it's very appropriate to end on, Rand. It said, never bring a moustache to a beard fight. I'll just bring both. It's like carrying two pistols. <laughs> Rand, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for spending the Thanks. time on the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. Cheers. So that's it for another week. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.